Brilliant. Well, morning, everyone. Or is it afternoon? It's afternoon. No, it's not actually quite yet. Uh, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I thought it was half past 11. It's half past 12. Uh, good to be together. And uh, thank you so much for coming to our carol service. Um, I, I thought we'd do a quick higher or lower. Um, how many Christmas jumpers do I own? Okay, um, is it... Okay, I'm going to give you the number three. Do you think it's higher? Or do you think it's lower? Let's, let's, let's just see... Okay, most people have gone higher. I have to say, I only own one, so it's lower. <laughs> I nearly wore it, but I thought I'd spare you this morning. So anyway, great to be with you, and thanks so much for coming. If you're visiting us for the first time, or maybe you come along with friends or family this morning, uh, really, really good to have you here. And everyone loves a good carol service. It's so good to be together to sing carols. And today, I'm going to focus on the first ever carol service that ever took place in the history of humanity. Happened roughly 2,000 years ago. Happened in a field just outside Jerusalem. And so we're gonna read the story together and then we're gonna dive into it a little bit together as we go. So here we go, this is in Luke chapter two. And this is what we read. There were shepherds wash, washing their flocks and their socks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So I would suggest to you this is the first ever carol service that ever took place. Happened in a field with some shepherds and some angels and it was an amazing moment. And a little bit later we're going to look at what their message actually means for us. But I've got to be honest at the start, carol service is always a little bit bittersweet for me because it reminds me of one of my most embarrassing moments in my whole life. So if you rewind the clock to the year 1999, now I know some of you weren't born but many of you were. 1999, electricity was invented. Dinosaurs still roamed the earth. It was pre-internet. Email was just starting to be used. But 1999, I was working in the northeast of England and uh, I'd been asked if I would speak and do a reading at a carol service, like a churches together carol service in a town called Cramlington in Northumberland. And I gladly said, yes, I'd love to do a reading. And I then completely forgot about it until the day arrived and suddenly I was at home in Newcastle and I said to Carol, I'm doing a reading at that carol service and it starts soon. We'd better get in the car and well, we're gonna be late. And so we jumped in our little blue Ford Fiesta and we drove, it was a half an hour journey to get to the venue in Cramlington. And as we're driving, I suddenly realized, I don't know what I'm meant to be reading. I don't know what I meant. Firstly, I am now running late. And secondly, I don't know what I meant to be reading. And so the closer the journey got, the more sweaty I became, the more anxious I became. My heart was starting to beat faster. 
But I was just thinking to myself, if we can just get there as close to the start as we can, I'm sure someone will give me the reading. And hopefully I'm somewhere near the back of the program so that I've got time to kind of like work it out. So anyway, we arrive one minute late and the service has already started. And my other hope was that there'd hardly be anybody there. But I walk into a room of 400 plus people. I mean, it's, the, it's like the whole town has turned out for this carol service. And so I walk in and they're halfway through the first hymn already. And I get given an order of service. And all it says is, Phil Wilthew doing the second reading after the first carol. And so I'm like, okay, after this carol finishes, I am going to be asked to come and do a reading. And I still haven't got a cooking glue what I'm meant to be reading. And so I'm, I'm, I'm there, like just sweaty palms, just thinking, okay, well, if I, if I don't know what to read, I could read something Christmassy from the Bible. Rats, I haven't got my Bible with me. So, so this is like, again, pre-phone days when I was like, I haven't got anything on me. I can't even read something Christmassy. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the first carol finishes, and then they say, and if Phil Wilthy could now come and give the reading. And so I do the slowest walk possible from the back of the room to the front, like just praying for divine intervention. And, and, and as I'm walking down, I see this lady with a Bible under a chair. So I thought to myself, I'm having that Bible. And so I'm walking, and as I do, I do a kind of scoop like this. And I nick the Bible from under a chair. The trouble is, she didn't know who I was, and so she starts having a tug of war with me for her Bible. And, and I'm frantically whispering to her, I'm Phil Wilthy, I'm Phil Wilthy, I'm doing the reading. Please, can I borrow your Bible? Please, can I borrow your Bible? And so eventually she's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she hands me the Bible. And you, and you know when you get brain fog, and you just can't remember things that two seconds ago you could remember. And so I've got, at least I've got a Bible, but now I've got to find where something vaguely Christmassy is in the Bible. And so I'm thinking, okay, um, there's something in Isaiah about to us a child is born. That's what I'll read. So I get up to the lectern, 400 people staring at me, and I'm trying to find the passage in the Bible. I am trying. And you know, when you, you're like, where is Isaiah? It's disappeared. She's given me a Bible without Isaiah in it. This is a conspiracy. I cannot find it anywhere. Eventually, I find my way to Isaiah. I'm sweating. I'm red in the face. And I'm like, right, I said, right where, where is it? And instead of turning to Isaiah 9, I turn to Isaiah 7. And, 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 I, and I'm so panicking. There's such an awkward pause by this point. That I just start reading. And so this is, why, this is why I read to everybody. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? <laughs> Will you try the patience of my God also? The Lord will bring on you and all your people and on the house of a father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. So I closed the Bible and I was like, and this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, I, I walked back in shame to my seat at the back. And you know, and it was, it was such a polite British crowd of people. Only, nobody said anything apart from two people at the end who came and shook my hand and said, that was a lovely reading, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I, I wanted the ground to swallow up and eat me that day. So, so I have a bittersweet kind of relationship with carol services. I feel a little bit more prepared today than I did then. But, you know, carol services are meant to be occasions of great joy. So in fact, the word carol means to dance in a circle or a song accompanied by a dance. 
So really, on carol services, we should be doing a lot more dancing than we are, because they're meant to be moments of great joy, great happiness, great exuberance. I, I live with a carol, so it's like that every day in my house. <laughs> She's watching, so hello. Um, <laughs> meant to be occasions of great joy, and... Uh, the original kind of carol services really, in terms of the, what we would be used to today, started in Italy in the 13th century with a man called Francis of Assisi who started to put on these nativity plays accompanied by songs. And they were so popular that they started to spread around kind of the rest of kind of Europe at the time. And they became this amazing mind where people would sing their songs of joy about the coming of Christ at the first Christmas time. That is, apart from a 13-year period in England when singing carols in church was banned. It was illegal to sing a carol in a church for 13 years under the reign of Oliver Cromwell, who was no fun at all. And he apparently thought that Christmas carols were dangerous because they would elicit feelings of happiness and joy. And so he banned it from, the, from church meetings. And of course, what happened is, because people couldn't sing their songs in the building... They began to go door to door outside and sing them to one another. And that's where our modern tradition of caroling comes from. Because if you can't sing a song of joy in the church building, you can do it out and about with your neighbours. So carols are meant to be occasions of great joy, great happiness. And you know, I often think as well about some of the carols we sing, that particularly if you're young, they can be quite complicated. Because carols were written a long time ago. You know, ineffable glory is quite a difficult kind of concept to get, get hold of if you're a child. So I heard, for example, a child talking about singing to the Surgeon Mary. I um, <laughs> don't know if it's the same Virgin Mary as in the scriptures, but um, you, you know when your kids, like, you sing songs and you think you know the lyrics and you're convinced that they're the lyrics. So here's just some well-known alternative lyrics sung by children. So we three kings of porridge and tar... Sleep in heavenly peas. He's making a list, chicken and rice. I quite like that one. Um, Noel, Noel, Barney's the king of Israel. <laughs> oh, what fun it is to ride with one horse soap and hay. Joy to the world, the Lord has gum. This is my favourite. De deck the halls with Buddy Holly. And then Hark the Herald Angels sing glory to the new donkey. Which is kind of Christmassy, I guess. But um, alternative lyrics. So if I've ruined Christmas carols for you, I'm really sorry. Um, but also, I think if Christmas carols were written today, maybe kind of Western 21st century health and safety culture would have a thing or two to say about some of our Christmas carols. So for example, take our passage today, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground, the angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around. So this is how the National Union of Shepherds may have responded in the 21st century. The Union of Shepherds has complained that it breaches health and safety regulations to insist that shepherds watch their flocks without appropriate seating arrangements being provided. Therefore, benches, stools, and orthopedic chairs must be made available. Shepherds have also requested that due to the inclement weather conditions at this time of year, they should watch their flocks via CCTV cameras from centrally heated observation huts. Please note that the angel of the Lord is reminded that before shining his or her glory all around, she or he must ascertain that all the shepherds have been issued with glasses capable of filtering out the harmful effects of UVA, UVB, and glory. So I think that's maybe what they would have said if they were critiquing and doing a risk assessment today of the story that we read right at the outset. 
as shepherds are watching their flocks by night, minding their own business, and then suddenly the first carol service breaks out and angels begin to announce the news that a savior has been born. And so what I wanna look at is just two very simple things. What was the good news that the angels announced to the shepherds and what then does it mean for us today? So firstly, what was the good news? Well, this is what we read. The angel says, do not be afraid. That's good news, isn't it? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So this is astonishing news by any accounts. Like more than man reaching the moon or Taylor Swift kissing Kelsey, what's his face? Or whoever won Strictly last night. Like this is astonishing news. It would be like me coming to you and saying, God's been born in St. Neots. Okay, that's what it would be like. And this is what the angels are doing with the shepherds. They're like, just up the road, just up the A1. If you go north on the A1, just a few miles, six miles outside of Jerusalem, God has been born in a manger. That's what they're announcing on this, this particular occasion. This is astonishing, astonishing news. And there's a couple of features about this good news just to pick out. The firstly is that this news is rooted in history and real geography. They say to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a savior is born. Now, that would have been a very familiar place for the shepherds. This was their patch, this is where they worked, this is where they lived. They knew that just outside of Jerusalem was a town called Bethlehem. And the angels are saying, that's where the savior is born. Now, it, it may be that you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and it may be that you kind of view the events of Christmas time, particularly if you pick up kind of rosy looking cherub Christmas cards, like, you know, with halos over baby Jesus' head. It may be that you approach Christmas as kind of mythology or fiction or fable. But actually, what the angels are announcing is that Jesus was born in a real place, in real space and time. This is an historical event that really took place. He was born in the town of David in Bethlehem. He wasn't born in Middle Earth or Narnia. He was born in a real place where real people lived and worked and did their lives. In fact, Galatians 4 puts it this way. When the right time had come, God sent his son who was born of a woman. He was born of a woman. And of course, for these shepherds who were Jewish by upbringing... They would have grown up in their hometown synagogues having had the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures read to them and they would have particularly understood the significance of Bethlehem. Now to us it might just seem like a random place like St. Neots or Milton Keynes or Bedford but for the shepherds when they hear that a savior is going to be born in Bethlehem of all places that would have made them listen and pay attention. Because from young, they would have been read the scriptures that predicted that from Bethlehem, one day a savior, a ruler would be born. That he would come from that particular town. This is what it says in Micah 5 verse 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are too small to be among the army groups from Judah, from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. He comes from very old times, from days long ago. 
That was a prophecy 750 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And these Jewish shepherds would have known that promise, known that prophecy, known that from Bethlehem a saviour would come. And that's what the angels announced to them on that day. From Bethlehem. Do you know in the Old Testament we have over 300 prophecies that predict the coming of Jesus. Where he would be born, what kind of death he would die, what kind of life he would live, the significance of his life. 300 prophecies with very, very specific, accurate predictions about the kind of person he would be. And I read this week about a professor in Pasadena who is a professor of mathematics and astronomy. And he put through his number cruncher the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of those 300 prophecies. Like, what's the probability that they could all come true in one person? And he put it through his kind of massive calculator, and the conclusion of his research was staggering. He said the prospects that anyone could satisfy just those eight prophecies in one person was one in ten to the power of 17. I don't know how big that is. But I think that's pretty big. See, again, you may be here and you may not know Jesus. You may not know this one that the angels were talking about. He's a real historical figure. And he's not just mythology. He's not just a fable. But he is the most remarkable person ever born on planet Earth in whom all the promises of God rest second thing that the angels say that we need to take note of is that the birth of this savior was a spiritual reality. They say a savior has been born to you. Now what's a savior? Literally someone who saves you. Someone who rescues you. And a guy called Chris Jammy who's the lead singer in a rock group, he says this, the reality of loving God is loving him like he's a superhero who actually saved you from stuff rather than a Santa Claus who merely gave you some stuff. You understand that Jesus didn't come as Santa Claus. He didn't come as just a divine gift giver. He came as a rescuer. He came to rescue us from something, to save us from something. And haven't you just loved the videos we've seen, just people's stories? Like just, and, and the thread through all of them is, Jesus saved me from something. Whether it's my own selfishness, whether it's my, my own just trying to find pleasure, whether it's my own fears or anxieties or hang-ups or questions or, or the stuff that I'd faced in my life, Jesus was the one who actually saved me. He rescued me. And I think the truth is, all of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, in our most cogent, salient moments, we would all agree that humanity left to their own devices doesn't do very well. I think we could probably all agree on that, whatever your philosophy of life is. When people are left to their own devices, they kill each other and try and have dominion over one another and basically are led by their own selfish desires. I think we could probably all agree on that. And so we can see that at a macro level, whether it's wars and rumors of wars or whether it's kind of politics and economics and power and warfare, we can see it playing out on human history but here's the reality. You can also see it playing out in your own heart. I need someone to save me. I need someone who can forgive me. I need someone who can remove my sense of shame for the things that I've done and said and thought wrong. I need someone who can come and deal with my sense of 
inferiority or insecurity or anxiety. I need a savior. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem is actually the problem of the human heart. We need someone to save us. And so as the angels come and say, a savior has been born in Bethlehem. This was incredibly good news. I remember once coming out of Tesco's and Carol and I found this little boy who'd lost his parents and he was just frantic with worry, literally just running up and down, crying, screaming, just totally beside himself. He was lost looking for a way back home. And I think so often that's how we are as humans without Christ, is we are frantically looking for where do I belong? Where do I fit? How do I find peace? How do I find meaning? And we had the privilege of being able to take this little boy and introduce him back to his mother. And they embraced and they had a moment of reconciliation and togetherness. It's like he was home. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to bring us home to the Father. He's a savior. He's a wonderful savior. In fact, when the angel comes to Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, he says to Joseph, you shall call your son Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Do you know the name Jesus literally means God saves. God saves. Where do you run to when you need saving? You go to Jesus, who was sent for you and for me. So what then does this good news mean? Well, let's look at the second part of the angelic message that says this. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. There's two things that happen through the giving of this savior, the angels say. Glory to God in the highest and peace on the earth to all those on whom his favor rests. Man called John Piper says this. He says, first and foremost, God is glorified because this child is born. And second, peace is spread everywhere that this child is received. These are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus. Glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. That's God's plan for us. That we might find peace by giving glory to God. You understand that you will not find peace if you look in. You will only find peace if you look up. And that's the announcement of the first Christmas time. That's why it was such joyous news. Peace is within touching distance. And here's how you access it. Glory to God in the highest. Some of you don't look at all convinced by this good news. I promise you it's true. You only find yourself when you find him. When you lift your chin up and look at the God who made you for his glory, that's only then is when you realize I'm made in his image, his likeness. My purpose is to worship him forever. And actually in that, you become truly human. Wow. You find yourself, you find your purpose, your fit, your peace, your sense of security, your sense of identity, your sense of meaning in life. Suddenly when you see him, everything changes. This is the purpose of God in Christ. And it's amazing again in this room, different stories, different people. Maybe you're at a different part of your journey in terms of the Christian faith. The remarkable thing is, within touching distance of you, is the offer of eternal life and eternal peace forevermore 
simply by trusting in Jesus. That's in touching distance of every single person in this room. None of us are excluded. Great joy is that offered to you. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, he said this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, I want to say to you, do not live your life just far too easily pleased with what this world has to offer to you. It will ultimately disappoint. You cannot take any of it with you. You cannot take your fancy car. You can't take your fancy TV. You can't take your nice holidays. You can't take all the bells and whistles that the world can offer. You could be a billionaire and actually still you'd have to leave it all behind. Naked we came, naked we leave. Infinite joy is offered to you. A joy that will never ever fade or spoil or perish that's only found in him. Glory to God in the highest. And then peace on earth to all those on whom his favor rests. That's the message of Christmas. And I'll just finish with this story. There were two boys who were spending their night at their grandmother's house and at bedtime while they were saying their prayers, the youngest one began praying at the top of his voice, I pray for a Thomas the Tank Engine train set. I pray for an electric scooter. I pray for a new Spider-Man action figure. His older brother leant over and said, God's not deaf, why are you shouting? And he said, God's not deaf, but grandma is. Listen, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, God is not deaf. He is not deaf. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and I'll put rivers that flow within you. He said, to him who asks, he shall receive. To him who seeks, he will find. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's an invitation today for you to come and know this Savior, through whom peace is found. And that is the good news of Christmas. And that's why we should do a jig when we sing Christmas carols. It's a song of joy accompanied by dancing. And so, Jesus, we want to thank you today together for coming for us. You are a great saviour. We thank you that you're not fiction, you're not fable, you're not a myth, but you were born in real space, in real time, amongst real people. You came to save real people like us. That is astonishing, that God has been born as a baby. Lord, we celebrate you today. And Father, I want to pray for every person in this room that may not yet know you for themselves. Holy Spirit, will you reveal yourself? Will you reveal yourself as the Savior who can save completely? Come and do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.